Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for CEO Exclusive, brought to you by Anona Enterprises. Welcome to CEO Exclusive Radio, where we get emerging trends from CEOs and their most trusted advisors. I'm your host, Sohini Koch. You all know that raising money is always an issue. And franchising is one of the ways of raising money for growing businesses like yours that we haven't talked about yet on the show. So I'm really excited to welcome Justin Weatherill, CEO and co-founder of You Break, I Fix, a really, really great high-performing franchise organization, and Andy Thoms, one of his franchisees here in Atlanta. Welcome to the show, gentlemen. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Justin, tell us the story of how you started to use franchising as a strategy for raising funds. Because it's not the typical strategy that most of the CEOs on this who are listening to the show would be familiar with. Sure. And it honestly wasn't our first go-to strategy for raising uh, capital or or growing the business either. Um, So we started You Break, I Fix in 2009 out of my bedroom when I broke my phone. Um, Grew it from my bedroom to the living room to one store to over three years, 47 corporate stores. We got the planning for the next year after we had the 47 corporate stores, how are we going to double in size again? And there were, you know, three really obvious options. We could go get a traditional bank loan. We could raise money from private equity or we could franchise. Now to us, uh, franchising was kind of, you know, a last resort. A lot of people, there, there's people who commoditize it and just here's a sign, good luck. And there's people who really uh, hold franchisees hands and, and moderate the experience in the stores and all of that. So we were more kind of, uh, as we thought about franchising, it was always the commoditized version. But anyways, we explored all three routes. The first route, you know, we went to the bank and they're like, yeah, there's no way. You've never borrowed a dollar. You're not going to get a million. You know, so that's is... what you get for being a successful business. You've grown to 47 <laughs> stores and never had to borrow a dime. And the bank says, no, that yeah. makes a whole lot of sense. Yeah. When you need it, you know, they don't want to lend it. That's how it goes, right? So you go to private equity and, you know, we were trying to grow a business. They were asking what the exit is. It made us really uncomfortable. There just wasn't a, a cultural fit there um, and a vision fit there. So then we, we actually started really looking into franchising, you know, what parts of the experience we could we control? How could we hold franchisees accountable, et cetera, et cetera, and eventually got comfortable with it, started franchising. And here we are four short years into the franchising journey with 289 stores opened and over 500 committed to open in the next 36 months on top of that. That's amazing. That's amazing growth. So let's tease this out a little bit for listeners who may not be familiar with with franchising as a model for, for raising capital. Give us some details on how it actually works. And so, you know, you get, you needed to raise a million and something. I don't know what the numbers were. And how does it work to have this pool of franchisees who are now helping you raise the money because the commitment to franchising is a lot more than just the fundraising, as you said. Yeah. So how does it work? There's really no like fundraising. They're not like giving you, you know, money so you can help open your own stores. It's really, (laughs) it's really, if you have a model that is attractive to others, both, you know, the work is exciting and it's profitable and and you can create ways to, to measure success and and hold people accountable, then franchising is a great way to use other people's capital, uh, both, both, time capital, human capital, and, you know, money capital to help grow a brand. So um, we noticed 
some of our corporate stores had had local operating like managers and those stores like grossly outperformed the stores that were purely corporate and didn't have anybody on the ground who had you know skin in the game and and that was one of the things that we noticed like why franchising could be a good fit because when when people are invested and it's their business they they tend to work harder and the customers tend to get a better experience i think that's definitely a principle that can be abstracted out to the ceos listening that when i'm hearing a really good idea that when people have skin in the game, they perform better. I think that's pretty, pretty true. Andy, um, as a franchisee, I'd love for you to comment on that because you also have other businesses as well. Yeah, exactly. When, what Justin is saying is what actually attracted us to You Break I Fix is we are, my wife and I were actually in uh, Orlando, Florida, and a mutual friend connected us to Justin. And it was fascinating. Some of the things he was saying resonated with me. And what really caught me off guard is uh, after we met, I actually went to one of his stores. And I asked the tech if I could uh, ask him a few questions. And what the tech was saying was the same thing Justin was saying. And as a CEO, one of the hardest things you do is get a, is to get alignment within your organization. And so when I saw yeah, alignment, we all know that that is so difficult. And so what I saw Justin when he when he cast a vision of what you break I fix was about and what they did, and then the how much they care for their uh, customers. And then the technician said the same thing. It really resonated with me. And that actually opened the door for me to say, hey, I want to lean a little bit more. And I remember flying back with my wife. From Orlando? From Orlando, back up here to Atlanta. And I said, hey, sweetheart, let, let's let's look at this. I think I want to do one of these. And that kind of just opened up. And as we looked more, everything started lining up. Um, and it worked out really well. So. so this, I think, is just fascinating. Justin, how do you get that? Like where you say something and an, um, uh, an employee, like, eight steps removed from you is saying the same thing. I mean, every, I think, CEO business owner aspires to that. And it's, it is, Andy, as you said, one of the biggest challenges is to have, whatever, whether it's culture or systems or financial performance, whatever it is, to have it filter from you down into the, the bowels of the, the organization is incredibly difficult. Yeah, so early on, when we decided to start franchising, we knew it was going to be really important to build the systems and processes to support a rapidly growing organization. So we spent a lot of money developing a portal system, a point-of-sale system, all in-house so that we could uh, delineate information down through the ranks efficiently and you know whenever we wanted. And we'd have to rely on people to open emails. Like, we could require training. We could, you know, put it in people's face every time they logged into our portal. And it made it really easy to to get everybody on the same page. But I think you bring up a, another good point about culture. For you, Break I Fix, I finished college, worked in corporate America for two years, realized what I liked, what I didn't like. And when, Me too. And when it was time for us to build a business, it was, you know, how do I build a business that I, want, I would want to work at and my peers would want to work at? And for, for us in culture, it comes down to a really kind of simple formula, you know, clearly outline what success looks like create systems to measure success in real time and create a really clear path for if you achieve success, what does that look like for you? And if you can do that from the top to the bottom, it really goes a long way in getting everybody on the same page and, and everybody, you know, talking the same. Mm-hmm. Repeat those again. I think that that's very, it's, it bears repeating one more time. So, you know, clearly measure what success looks like. So define the KPIs of the business. And then measure those KPIs. We do that in real time. So uh, as you can imagine, running almost 300 stores, we measure every, every metric. So are you opening and closing on time? Do you have required inventory? What's your average turnaround time? Like all of those are tracked in real time and put in a really easy 
zero to 100% grade. So you're like getting an A, you're getting a B, you're getting a C. Everybody knows it. And when it's time for like a talk or a view, a bonus, whatever it is, like there's no, like you're telling me what you could do better next month. There's no like animosity. There's no, I think you could be trying harder. I feel like you're not giving it 100%. Like it's your peer down the street got 100 and you got a 90. You know, tell me where you missed it. And it creates a, a really transparent and cohesive like working environment. And then the third part is if you're successful and you you meet those KPIs, you know, what's next for you? And I think as leaders, all of our jobs should be to make sure that that those working under us have a clear vision of what's next for them. Cause that's what really motivates people to, you know, that, that's how you get the most out of people. And Andy, how do you how do you see these three steps showing up in your experience as having a, a franchise of you break I fix? It's a great question. Um, as I look at it, the, the biggest thing I look at as, a, as an owner, so we, we happen to have a store in Atlanta, also in Athens. We're building two more out um, as well right now. Ooh. And so one thing we look at that I love is whenever you're going to business, you want to know, can you duplicate what you're doing? Um, can you put your time in and then duplicate that time? And so with that, the, the portal system that Justin is talking about, anytime on my phone, on my computer, wherever I'm at, I can log in. Uh, just yesterday, I stopped in one of our stores. And uh, the reason I stopped in there is I was looking at a work order that was not answered in the appropriate time it should be answered in. And so I actually wrote a note to the technician from my phone in the work order and then showed up there and then and gave him a big hug and said, hey, what, what happened here? And I was able to go in because it was accountable and it was very accountable. And so I can look at any time I know how much money is in the cash register. I know all the way to what part's missing, if there is one missing. I know how many customers are coming to my uh, store daily. So as an owner, that gives me a lot of peace of mind. As a manager of our store, when I call, I know exactly what's taking place so we don't spend 30 minutes figuring out what's going on in the store. I can go directly in and ask the question and then set the goal for that week or that month or that day. Mm-hmm. So as we talk about culture, I ha- culture is like in a warm and fuzzy, wuzzy, wuzzy term, right? And we talk about culture a lot on the show. Right. Um, you haven't been on the show before, but it comes up Every, pretty much every show, you know, some version of the culture word comes up. I would love to get you to weigh in on how you define and measure the warm, the ushy parts of culture, like trust, right? That word comes up a lot. Integrity, that comes up a lot. And yet you can't necessarily, or maybe you're going to tell me that you can or tell me how to do it. How do you quantify those more ephemeral parts of culture? From the top to the bottom, trust is earned, right? Like you don't just wake up and trust somebody or, or they smile nice and you're like, hey, I trust you. Um, I, I think it's, it's you know, over time and it, it takes some time to build trust. It's not an instant thing. But, you know, for example, if if all the employees in our corporate office feel safe in their jobs and they like coming to work and a new employee shows up and sees how how comfortable everybody is in their own shoes and sees everybody individually contributing and, and they feel safe and they feel like they can grow. Like then they they tend to trust the organization and leadership a lot faster than if they show up and they sit in a cubicle next to you know Steve who complains about his job every day and and feels like he could be let go at any moment or or hey there were just layoffs last month and you know half of the building's gone like how how can you have an organization with a culture of trust when you know people are just numbers mm. and I th- I think at the end of the day it sounds really cliche and, you know, even the word culture and, and like even talking about it because it, it has to be natural, right? You can't force like culture, like 
you can't make people feel a certain way. Like you have to just do the right things like trust. You have to, you have to build the trust integrity. I mean, integrity is like, we all know it's, it's doing the right thing when nobody's watching. Like it's mm-hmm. at the core, you have to, you have to believe in what you're saying. It's not just like an HR video that, or a poster <laughs> that you watch and you put up on the wall and, you know, hope everybody believes that that's what you really want. Like it, it you know, you clearly have to clearly articulate the, the, the vision, be accountable to everybody, treat everybody with respect. And I think a, a lot of the rest figures itself out. Mm-hmm. You want to weigh in on that one, Andy? No, I can't agree more with what Justin said is um, it, it takes time to earn it. We have a, a mantra in, in one of our companies. We talk about relationships and results. And that's something that we kind of go after every day. I can be a, your best friend. We have a great time together. I can just do results and not be your friend. But if we do both of them, then it creates trust. And that's something that's really big to us. And I'll give you a prime example. In one of our stores uh, a couple of weeks ago, we we missed the mark. And so I went in and I said, guys, let me show you where we missed the mark on. And I can show you through Portal. And they there was a new gentleman there on our team. And I could tell he wasn't really listening. But I said, I'm going to show us how we can increase our sales by 9% this next month. I want to just show exactly how we can do it. And I went back in two days ago and I actually pulled out, went over the conversation I had with them. They did exactly what happened and we increased our sales by about 8%. That's trust, if that makes sense. Because they had to, I had to have that relationship to talk to them, but then I had the results to show it. And then that allowed us to grow the company. So next time I say, hey, let's do this, they're going to actually understand what that is. So that's a trust relationship from a boss. So that's something that we like to do and I really enjoy doing that. But it's, if you can do more of those mile markers on the, along the way to success, you'll get more people to join you. And that's kind of what happens with You Break I Fix. So mm. it's very good. Great. So for those of you listening, we're talking to You Break I Fix. Justin Weatherhill, CEO and co-founder, and one of their franchisees here in Atlanta, Andy Thoms. They decided to pursue a franchising strategy to grow their business. And I wanted to continue talking with them about the relationship between the home office and their franchisees like Andy, because this is fundamental if you're going to be able to grow a franchise organization from 40 locations to an amazing over 200 locations as you break iFix did. So how many do you have now? 289. Right. It changes every day. It might be 290 today. I'm not yeah. sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, it's, it's a, that's a high quality problem to have. So fundamentally, there has to be a, a choice about the person, right? You, the it's come comes down to a people thing. Like you're choosing the leader of each one of these these locations, and the people side of any business tends to be the hardest thing. So, how are you going about being so effective and choosing who it is that you're trusting with your brand and your processes and your systems and your company? Yeah, so we have what's called a discovery day where all of our prospective franchisees are required to come and spend the day at Orlando in our corporate office, and their prospective franchisees. So they think it's like a, a sales show and they're coming down to learn more about You Break I Fix and us to sell them a franchise. Well, really, it's you know that's our opportunity to get to know them for the day, take them to lunch, tell them about our business, you know, build a little bit of rapport, a little bit of relationship and see if you know their interests and values are aligned with ours. Um, and then, so that's the first part. And then, you know, we do phone interviews and there's a process to that. But once they're in, too, I think another really important part is we do um, training for three weeks in Orlando at our corporate office. So it's not off-site. It's not in a store. It's not... You're, you're walking the halls with us every day. 
you're drinking the Kool-Aid every day. You know, you know, I'm in the office every day. My partners are in the office every day. It's not just, you know, an investment for us. Like we're, we're wholeheartedly invested in this and giving it, you know, all that we have. And I think that not only making sure that you make the right selections up front, but then kind of indoctrinating them into the culture. Cause like I said, you can't just like, here's, here's a piece of paper with our, our, our core values. This is our culture. Good luck. Like there's a lot more to that. Um, people have to accept it on, on their own terms pretty much. But so that's, that's, what's been really successful for us. Hmm. And then on the flip side, Andy, Justin's absolutely right. You know, when I think of franchising, I think of the franchisor chasing you, you know, people like you to get your money. Right. You said you saw the, the process integrity, Mm -hmm. you know, flowing all the way from the corporate, uh, corporate office down to the employee level. How else, or what else did you see that made you really think that you break I fix was 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 a, the kind of institution or company that you would want to affiliate yourself with? Mm, that's a great question. Um, as we were exploring it, um, I actually called other owners and talked to them and asked them some very deep questions and just said, "Hey, shoot me straight. What do you think?" And it kept on going back to the integrity of the leadership, and that was something that was really big to me. And when I was working with uh, a young lady named Ryan, who's on the corporate side of things. Every time I talked to her, she would return my call on time, which sounds like something small, but it was a big deal. On time. Um, if I asked something in an email, it got to me on time. And so there's just little things they were constantly doing what they say they're going to do. And in business, it, it sound, we have a good intention a lot of times, but we miss the mark um, just by showing up at the right time. And so those are the small things I noticed. Obviously, I looked at the numbers and they blew me away. Um, that was phenomenal. Yes. But Also, one thing that really attracted me to this organization is uh, there was also a gentleman here in Atlanta that I spoke with um, who actually came in as a technician, uh, came into a management position. Then he went into uh, owning some stores and then kind of a regional manager. And my background, I've been in ministry before and love it. So I love to see people go from one spot to another uh, and go after their dreams. And so this was the first organization I truly got to see an organization take an individual who had a large dream but didn't know how to have the vehicle to get there and take a vehicle and then own another store. And now he has a couple of stores. And that's just exciting to me. And that was a matter of five years. I mean, that's fast. So that excited me. I said, if they're doing this, I want to be a part of that. It's very, very interesting. So I have a, a curiosity about something sure. unrelated to the, the people thing. Competitors. So there are a lot of people in the space, you know, a lot of some big, big companies that everybody's heard of that also fix computers and fix stuff. Sure. How do you differentiate yourself from those competitors? And I often have this experience. I've been to a number of different places that shall remain nameless. I walk in and I bring my laptop and the technician looks at my laptop they're like, I don't know what's wrong. And I'm like, well, if you don't know what's wrong, how am I, how am I, what am I supposed to do? So I, I will just stop there and let you answer. Yeah. Um, you know, when we started this business, I'm, I'm a nerd, built computers, you know, was never in, in the repair businesses, but knew what I liked about the industry. We knew what we liked about the industry and we knew what we didn't. So we did a couple things like, free diagnostics, um, transparent online pricing, like we fix it or it's free, like little things that, that seem like common sense and are kind of industry standards now that really aligned ourselves with the customer's interests and said like, look, there's no money in us doing free diagnostics. Like we could tell you, take the time, spend an hour in it, tell you what it costs to fix. And you're like, no, thank you. 
and, and, and that can be a waste of resources for us. But even if the customer doesn't get something fixed, they're like, wow, I can't believe you break I fix would go out of their way, take the time to diagnose this device, and then not like hard sell me and guilt trip me when I don't go through with it. And like the amount of rapport that built with the customer and like the word of mouth that, you know, how positively that affected the word of mouth and the communities we were trying to, to build these businesses in were, were really impactful. But at the end of the day, I think it all comes down to, to culture and having like a culture of service. Like as a CEO, I'm here to serve the people that directly report to me and they're here to serve the people that directly report to them. And like that like cascades down and, mm-hmm. and, and ultimately cascades down to the person behind the counter who's there to serve the customer. Um, and whether it's franchising that gives a local owner and kind of a local feel or that overarching kind of culture piece, you know, that's what I think really drives the difference in experience if you walked into a You Break I Fix store or one of our competitors, whether it's a mom and pop or a national chain. Mm. It's interesting. You mentioned one thing, Andy, about how like little things turn into big things, like the responsiveness to email and phone communication. I know that a lot of CEOs like struggle, struggle, struggle with that. I mean, the specifics of the email communication and being responsive, but then also with like all the little things that you just can't seem to hold together when you're really busy and trying to run a multi-million dollar organization. So I would love you both would weigh in on how do you, how do you manage those little, little details like returning your phone calls in 24 hours, which I have to admit, I don't always do. Um, I know a lot of you don't always do it either, um, but it is it is amazing when you can have that kind of uh, responsiveness or all these little things that then add up to an organization that can grow five times in it, you know, by 5X in a year. Um, it's a great question. Um, and I fall on that as well. So let me just make that very clear. Um, Which is why know, it's impressive. Yes, it's it, like, yes, I know, yes. I, know <laughs> I don't return every phone call in a day. I think it goes really back to, if you create a system for success, so for you break, I fix, it goes back to the portal. The unique thing about this is there's no way the amount of calls we get a day that we could follow up with all of them unless there's a system that creates that. So um, within portal, if it's an online, someone comes online and, and puts in a request, we have to reply within three, two to three hours or we get points deducted. So we know very quickly what's happening. If someone calls in, we know there are certain times during the day that we have a specific person inside the store that is going to check the voicemail to call back. So there's little things that we're constantly doing and there's reminders that'll pop up in portal to tell you when you need to call somebody. So if it's a system that's reminding you how to do that, it's a huge win. Um, On a personal level, um, I have an incredible assistant who makes sure that we do those things as well. And uh, I can't say enough about her. She's phenomenal. But I always say, surround yourself with people that are way smarter than you. Um, And if you can do that, then you're going to be very successful in life. And so I try to surround myself with a lot of smart people, Justin being one of them. And then I learn from them each day. Um, But that's kind of how we've done that in You Break, I Fix, is make sure that the system keeps us accountable to to our customers. Hmm. What about you, Justin? All these like little things that are so hard to manage. So I think Andy talks us up way too much. We don't hit the mark every time. Like, <laughs> so, all, the, all the listeners are calling right now to see if we pick up on the first ring and we won't. Um, <laughs> we give them two rings in our store. We do give them two rings. <laughs> so, you know, we're, we're not going to, we don't hit the mark every time. We're not going to hit the mark every time. Well, that's time. integrity, right? Mm. Like, you're just like, okay, like, it's really great that we did it that one time with him because now he owns a store, a couple stores. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But we're going to die trying, right? So, um, you know, we have a, a lead system that if you go online and and you submit 
uh, for a quote or something like that, it measures how long it takes for somebody to respond. And that goes as part of their metric score. Are they responding timely? So it all comes back to the same three things, like define the expectation, measure the expectation, reward doing it right. And um, it sounds simple and I'm being repetitive, but... Well, no, we can all repeat it because obviously not every business is able to do it successfully, which is the subtlety, right? Yeah. It's not complicated. It's just, it takes focus. Yeah. Hmm. So as we kind of go back to the people people side of the business and um, you were saying that you surround yourself with uh, people that are way smarter than you and we have the systems and the processes and the culture, how would you describe your culture? And And... I would love to get a couple more examples of how you drive the, like, okay, whatever that thing is, how you drive it down into the organization. Those are always always very helpful. Yeah, so we, this sounds super cliche, but we describe the culture at You Break, I Fix as the UBIF family, UBIF family. And we say it at our annual summit, we have it in emails, you know, people talk about it on our internal forums, like, it's a real thing, it's not just some poster we made and put up in the store. Like it's, there's people with UBIF tattooed across their wrist. Like that, like half a dozen people with those tattoos. Um, but I think, you know, we, sh- we have an annual summit. It was just this past February. And I shared a quote at the end and I'm blanking on who wrote it, but it was, it was in the Simon Sinek book. And it was, you know, leadership is measured by the success of those around you. And that's how we built you break, I fix. Like at the end of the summit, I asked everybody who started as a tech and now owned a store to stand up and to see 50, 60% of the room stand up. Like nothing's more powerful than that. And nothing creates culture than people being able to look around and seeing how you break, I fix has changed the lives of the people around them and believing that it can do the same for them if, if they, if they want it and they work for it. Mm. That's really, really powerful. Well, thank you very much, gentlemen. Thank you. We appreciate it. What are some things that are coming up? Uh, obviously, you're kind of growing, growing, and growing. That's very exciting. But anything else that's happening at You, you Break I Fix that you think uh, our CEO listeners would be interested in finding out about? Well, if they want the opportunity to take a look at it, I would, I would go to our website for sure. To you know, If there's other opportunities you are looking for, this is a great place to look as you begin to look into franchising because it's a great model. And as I own three other companies besides this, it does give you that, that if you enjoy creating, this is a great organization to partner with um, in doing that. So I would definitely take a look at it. Wonderful. Well, listeners, we've been talking to You Break, I Fix. Their CEO and co-founder, Justin Weatherhill, and one of their franchisees in Atlanta, Andy Thoms. Gentlemen, it's been a great, great show. For listeners, you can check out on Thursday our blog where we're going to summarize the key takeaways from today's show. And you can also check out more about our guests at CEOExclusiveRadio.com. I'm Soyini Koch, your host. And until next time, have a prosperous, productive, and very profitable week. Thank you. This show is brought to you by Anona Enterprises, where strategy is your access to money and performance. Learn more at AnonaEnterprises.com.